It's been a little while since we've been in the book of Acts, chapter 8, back on April 3rd, under the title, Just Thought I'd Ask, in verses 1 to 8 of Acts 8, we had a question, what does persecution usually do? And the answer we found in the Word of God was scatter God's people out from Jerusalem to the region surrounding. Second question we looked at last time, what do godly church leaders do? We were citing the apostles, the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, who were endowed with special signs and wonders power. What did they do? What do godly church leaders do? Well, they stayed in Jerusalem amid persecution to care for God's flock, brothers and sisters in Christ. Third question, what can scattered Christians do? And we answer from the text, preach and evangelize where the non-scattered aren't. You can, when you get scattered as a being persecuted, you're going to take the gospel to areas you wouldn't have gone to otherwise if you weren't persecuted. And the last question we took up last time in the text was, what did one gospel servant do? His name was Philip. And what did one gospel servant do? The answer was Philip moved out of Jerusalem to Samaria to do ministry. And specifically the kind of ministry that Philip did in Samaria was that he preached, he did miracles, he exercised demons, and he healed persons who were in need of healing. And so now today, in the continuation of Acts chapter 8, we come to another question, and you're going to think me odd when you hear the wording of this question, but stay with me. And the question is this, what do unsaved Christians, see my hands, what do unsaved Christians do? You say, what's the concept of an unsaved Christian? Well, there's plenty in the New Testament about unsaved Christians. Jesus talked about wheat and tares, right? He talked about sheep and goats. And he said that we will know them, false teachers, by their fruits. And so we meet in the text... An unsaved, watch my fingers, an unsaved Christian named Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer heard the gospel when Philip preached it in Samaria, and he was interested in the gospel to the point of witnessing the baptisms in water of some who got converted. See that with me, will you, in um, Acts 8, beginning at verse 9, Acts 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery, magic, in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And so this Simon the sorcerer was interested in the gospel to the point of witnessing some water baptisms of other persons who were converted. And the text says that Simon the sorcerer believed himself. Look at that in verse 13. 
Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he not only believed, he was water baptized. 13, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So this Simon the sorcerer confessed Christ, that he believed in Christ. He even requested water baptism, and he was baptized. But you know what? Sometimes preachers are fooled by people who ask for water baptism. And sometimes preachers can water baptize someone who's not legitimately a Christian. That's what happened in this case. Simon the sorcerer knew the language of the Lord. He just didn't know the Lord. And he asked to be water baptized. And the apostle mistakenly baptized him. But we see over and over in the text that Simon's profession of faith in Christ was an illegitimate, fake, phony profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. For the truth became plain when Simon tried to buy Holy Spirit power. Yeah, he tried to buy Holy Spirit power. Verses 18 and 19. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. That was an indicator that his profession of faith in Christ wasn't legitimate. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit so he'd have power and confer power to other people. But there's more. The truth, truth also became evident when a discerning apostle Peter told Simon that he was going to perish. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Eventually, Peter saw through the whole game, the whole charade, the whole acting, and he said, Simon the sorcerer, may your money perish with your soul. Verse 21 tells us that Peter also told Simon that he had no part, no portion in the salvation which the others who were around him had in Christ. Verse 21. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. So this sorcerer said the right things that he believed on Jesus Christ for salvation from his sin, but then he evidenced that that profession was hollow. It was a sham. It wasn't true because he wanted to buy Holy Spirit power so that he could have Holy Spirit power to give to other people and put on a show. And Peter was very direct. He told Simon, you have no part or portion in this salvation. You are not saved, Simon. And in case Simon missed it, Peter also informed Simon that his heart was not right in God's sight. It's just a dangerous thing. When people play church, when people fool their spouses or fool their children or fool their pastors, it's a serious thing. When people come to church who aren't really Christians and say they are Christians, it's a serious, serious thing. But Peter, with the Holy Spirit's discernment, understood, hey, 
You may be jumping through all the right hoops, but your heart is not right before God. And then Peter went on to inform Simon more about the spiritual problems he had. According to verse 22, Peter told Simon, you need repentance. He said, you're acting wickedly and you need to be forgiven of sin. Verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray God that if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter says, I'm not even sure you're going to be forgiven, but I'm praying that you will be because you'll confess and repent of your sin of playing church, acting the part, being a counterfeit. Peter was very direct. And you know what? People who are in this category, church family, people who are playing church and thinking they're fooling if because they fool their pastor and because they fool their spouse and because they fool their children, they are dangerous people. We'll see how dangerous in a moment. But after all that, after saying that um, you're going to perish in verse 20, after saying you have no part or portion in true salvation in verse 21, saying in verse 21 that he needed to uh, repent and needed to stop acting wickedly and he needed to pray to be forgiven, Peter didn't let up. (laughs) He didn't let up at all. In fact, he described Simon in terms of being unconverted when he used the phrase or label poisoned by bitterness. Or he told Simon the sorcerer, you are bound by iniquity. And after being so strongly called out by the apostle Peter, Simon the sorcerer came clean in this regard. He admitted he'd been a counterfeit. He agreed that he wasn't saved because he knew he wasn't but he was trying to play the game for personal advantage. It says in verse 24, then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. (laughs) He wanted to be delivered from the righteous judgment of God by having the apostle pray for him. But guess what? Unless he came to Christ in simple faith, genuinely, he wasn't going to be delivered from perishing. No one is. 100% of those who reject Christ perish. We can't say of every person that died, may she rest in peace. Because 100% of the persons who aren't legitimately trusting Jesus for salvation perish. 100%. And so, not every person who has a successful interview with a pastor about water baptism should be water baptized. Because time can and will tell that pastor who was fooled by the baptized faker that he or she is still lost in sin. It'll show up eventually. It's like a flutterboard in your swimming pools. You can hold the flutterboard down only so long and then it pops up. Now, if I may say so, The problem 
of persons professing faith in Christ without possessing salvation in Christ is a very real danger in our country. You see, most Bahamians, you know the language of the Lord. You went to VBS. You went to Sunday school. Your Grammy read you Bible stories about Jesus. You have the church language, but you don't have the church Lord, maybe. And so it's easy to fall into the error of Simon the sorcerer. And as you know, we have so many local churches in Nassau that it's easy as falling off a log to get involved in a church which raises church tradition over scripture, which has the gospel wrong that Jesus didn't die just for your sins. He died for your checkbook. And if you'll just come to him by faith, yeah, you'll get the forgiveness of your sins and God will owe you like some vending machine in heaven, prosperity. (laughs) Simon the sorcerer was not truly saved and neither was Judas Iscariot. Jesus called Judas Iscariot who who heard all the sermons, saw all the healings, hung out with Jesus intimately with the other disciples for three and a half years. Jesus, when it was all said and done about Judas Iscariot, says the son of perdition. Son of in Hebrew means just like. Son of perdition means just like perdition. Perdition is Satan. And so it was Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8 that claimed he was a Christian, but the apostle Peter pronounced upon him wisely and accurately, you're not a Christian. And Judas Iscariot, during Christ's public earthly ministry, jumped through all the right hoops, was the treasurer of the group. Everybody thought he was all right, but he wasn't all right because Jesus at the end of the day said, Judas, son of perdition. And so, any belief in Christ which has rooted in the selfish reasons and motives of making money off of Jesus is not genuine saving faith in Christ. If you're old enough, you've seen all the televangelists who are building theme parks and towers to themselves in Oklahoma. And eventually, the flutterboard comes up from being submerged in the water and it pops up and they're seen to be false, fake pastors. Unsaved. Look at my hands. Christians. Furthermore, any belief which Simon the sorcerer had in Christ was really an attempt at a personal power grab. Remember what he wanted? He didn't want people to share his faith with. He didn't want opportunities to glorify God. He wanted to have Holy Spirit power so he could sell it. A fake, unsaved Christian. And so... What have we seen in these verses that unsaved Christians do? One, they sometimes profess faith in Christ. Two, sometimes they even get water baptized. Three, they hang around true believers. And 
Four, they get excited about the things that excite God. And five, they even call God Lord. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, many, if you write in your Bibles, many, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said that many, many are going to be fake Christians. The majority, (laughs) many, not few, many. Jesus said, in effect, if you have many that he never knew with respect to salvation, Jesus was saying that there's going to come a time when cultural Christianity is on the scene, and we have that here. It's easy to go to church for Mother's Day and Christmas and Easter and to think you're a Christian. But coming to a sanctuary on Mother's Day and Christmas and Easter no more makes you a true Christian than walking into a garage makes you a mechanic. So Jesus essentially was saying when he said many would be told that he didn't know them, he's really saying a lot of people are going to play church. A lot of people are going to fall into some cultural expectation about worship. You say, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) Haven't you just stretched it a bit, Pastor? I mean, haven't you just overextended this? Isn't that hyperbole, what you're saying? No, it's not. Because when you look at the New Testament, you find out that the persons that Jesus had the most ire for were Pharisees. Pharisees were the men in Israel that the average Jew thought was the most close to God. But Jesus had nothing good to say about Pharisees. He knew they were fakes. We have other portions of the New Testament, plenty of them, that talk about these professors who aren't possessors, these fake believers. They're called wolves in sheep's clothing. They're called hidden reefs in your love feasts. They're called clouds without water. They're called autumn trees without fruit. They're called wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Do you know what Jesus said to the church at Sardis? Jesus said this to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3.1. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. People think you're spiritually alive, Sardis, but I know you're spiritually dead, unconverted, not a believer in Jesus. Second John 2.19 is, a, is a, a weighty verse. 
2 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. None of them were of us. The flutterboard of styrofoam was held underwater only a short time. Eventually, it popped up and certain persons were shown to be not truly of a group of true Christians. And in case, in case we wonder if the New Testament makes it more personal to me, more personal to you, it does. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, the commandment is given to the church at ancient Corinth, this command. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you are disqualified. This command is saying that in the ancient church of Corinth, there were persons who should be disqualified because they weren't in the faith. They should have tested themselves because Christ wasn't in them by the Holy Spirit. That's serious. And what was written to the ancient church in Corinth is written to the modern church in Nassau. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed are disqualified? Serious. I have a second part to this message that I don't want to rush through. So I am going to end this time of Bible teaching here, but I will tell you what to expect next Sunday. The sixth question overall in the chapter eight is to receive the Holy Spirit, what must a believer do? There's a lot of debate about that. A lot of different theological points of view of that. To receive the Holy Spirit, what must the believer in Christ do? I'm gonna leave you that to think about to study this week and to pray about. See if you can find an answer to that question. To receive the Holy Spirit, what does a Christian have to do? But today, today the question was, what do unsaved Christians do? And the answer is, what unsaved Christians do looks a lot like what other Christians applaud. I publicly testify my faith in Christ. I ask for water baptism. But underneath that can be a motivation for personal gain. Maybe your spouse is a believer and you know you're not. But to make peace in your marriage, to make peace in your home, there's a temptation. Yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved. 
If I had a dollar for every Christian woman who came to me in 35 years of being a pastor and said, my husband lied to me. When we dated, we went to church. And he told me that he was saved. But as soon as we got married, he had no interest whatsoever in church or the Bible or Christ. And he's told me, as a matter of fact, he'll never go to church. He's not interested. You go to church for me, he says. You raise our children spiritually. I have no part in that. That happens. And so those of you who are single and open to dating, don't do any missionary dating. Missionary dating is when you start dating a guy or a girl you know is not a Christian and you expect you're going to win them to Christ. Don't do that. Because every date is a potential mate. Some of our young people go on dating sites. That's a big risk. Because you can present yourself in any way you want on an internet dating site. Careful. Every date's a potential mate. And so speaking to the congregation that I love, I believe that most all of us are genuine in our faith in Christ. We're truly born again. We're truly new creations in Christ. Praise God. But we ought to be loving enough to look around us when we see someone who's faking it, that we love them enough to do what Peter did. We said, Simon, you're not saved. In fact, you're going to perish with your money. It may offend some people, might put some noses out of joint, might, might cost you some business. But if you won't tell someone and call someone out, it's a fake Christian, will any, will any non-Christians do that? No. So in love, in prayer, in sincerity... Realize that there are plenty of people, Jesus said many, plenty of people who are unsaved, look at my fingers, unsaved Christians. They label themselves as Christian, but they're not redeemed, regenerated, born again, converted. They're not. And like Simon the sorcerer, some of those individuals know exactly that they aren't, but they're playing a game for various reasons. They come into their churches many Sundays and they know when the, when the invitation to salvation is given, they know they've never responded in their hearts ever. Be careful. Be careful. Lord, we thank you for legitimate salvation. We thank you that when we transfer our trust to Christ alone, that in mercy and grace you forgive us and you make us new. But Lord, our hearts go out to individuals who are faking it, who are just trying to get by for personal motives to pass off as if they are your followers. Lord, we would ask in your mercy you would reveal the phoniness that's being perpetuated 
and that you would convince them in their own heart of hearts that they need to bow the knee to Jesus. Not so Jesus will give them things they want, but because Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he's Lord. May we live in light of his lordship. May we live in light of his lordship. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.